Good evening, everybody. Welcome to The Chosen Life. I am your host, as always, The Chosen Lawyer. Today's guest, uh, it is an, honestly a treat because from the minute I met this man, I was excited because I'm like, this man lives The Chosen Life. He's the embodiment of The Chosen Life. So you watch these beer commercials and you hear about the world's most interesting man. Nah, nah, it's not that guy saying, stay thirsty, my friends. It's the man that I know is Super Doc, but you know him as RJ Kama. RJ, welcome to The Chosen Life. <laughs> it's quite an intro. I should quit while I'm ahead. When, <laughs> I'm about, going? <laughs> when, I'm, when I'm about to record an episode, I actually marinate from the second I wake up to the time we record the episode of where I'm going to go <laughs> with the intro. And, and I honestly thought to myself, like, here's a man, when I met you the first time, you know, and this is actually the second time we're meeting, right? The first time yeah. we met face to face and you said, wow, that's what your face looks like because you were wearing a mask when we first met. But uh, I thought to myself, here's a man that truly thinks about what makes him happy and puts together the life that he wants and he's living his chosen life. And that, and when I saw you, I'm like, man, that's what I want to strive towards. You know, you really set the, the bar high for us, my friends. <laughs> How have you been? I've been good. I've been, you know what, it's been, I've been now two years since we've seen each other. Yeah. Yeah, lots, a lot's been happening, right? Well, and yeah, uh, we, since, we since didn't we even see, shake hands the first time. We, we, did, we did not, but you know what? Early, early in COVID and uh, weren't, sure, weren't sure how the, uh, the social graces would play out. Well, but, when we, we first met, we met through a mutual uh, watch collecting website, a Canadian yeah. one, CWC, uh, Canadian Watch Collecting, right? And uh, the and we were starting to do virtual get-togethers. So I was hosting these uh, these monthly virtual get-togethers. And eventually, hopefully, we will actually have in-person ones again. And then we can do a proper, yeah. you know, half hug, half shake thing <laughs> and actually drink and meet in person. Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy that it's been two years now, but it's uh, hopefully easing off. Absolutely. <laughs> and uh, you just come back from vacation, correct? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, we, we snuck away. We actually had two vacations, which was kind of nice because we had March break and we were away with the kids in Paris, yes. which is always fantastic. That is not and Paris, Ontario, had... folks, by the way, just for clarification. <laughs> which sounds very exotic, but we were actually looking at Florida first and pricing it out. Florida was obscene. So we actually started to, to look around and it's been a while since we've been to Paris. It's one of our favorite places on earth. And it was about a third of the price for everything in though so it, it sounds so exotic but we were bargain hunters and ended up in paris france because universal studios priced us out but that was amazing but when you're with the kids it's not really vacation so oh, they're not diapers march though so that's that's half the <laughs> yeah. battle right yeah we did we did march break with the kids and then we traditionally immediately made a trip without them so over easter we uh, just extended the break and we were in Lisbon, which is amazing. Amazing. Wow. So it sounds like you had a great time. Yeah. Lisbon's it's, it's one of the best places on earth actually. And that's an incredible bang for your buck too. Cause when, once you're there, you know, port is, is one euro a glass and then half the time they, uh, they don't even charge you for it. <laughs> so, and, and the food is amazing. And the, the seafood plus you're on, you're on the beach, you've got the coast, you've got the history, the architecture, and, and it's the fourth safest city in the world, which is nice because then I could wear my watches. Paris, I didn't really, I brought, brought a couple uh, under the radar watches, but I'd be terrified to wear any of the Rolex or, or the odd Mars. 
which is tough because it used to be that vacation was one of the favorite things about it is that's where you could really wear the watches more um more freely and now it's with the the current landscape but lisbon was so safe so i was able to bring out some pieces that i that i enjoy wearing that i would never wear to work so it was a big part of the vacation I gotta tell you, man, this is if you look up first world problems in the dictionary, <laughs> this is today's episode. Today's episode is about yeah. all about first world problems. Which of my watches should I wear today? <laughs> May that be our worst a, problem in life. It's a hard struggle. <laughs> the struggle is very real. I can tell you, even when you stay in town, right? When you wake up in yeah. the morning, you think, okay, am I gonna go to the gym? Am I going to the office? Am I going to an event afterwards? And you actually have to think about that for, for me, I don't know how it starts for you. It starts off the outfit. What watch am I wearing? Yeah. How's this going to flow for me? If I have to take it off, where am I putting it? And then you build the outfit around the watch, correct? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I kind of figure. I kind of figured as much. Now, when we first got introduced to each other, and before I go into that, my producer always yells at me that as you're watching this, folks, please make sure to hit that subscribe button, notification bell. You're loving this episode, so you can watch more and more of the Chosen Life and our other uh, and our other programs. So just make sure you're doing that, please. We really appreciate the subscription. And as you're watching this, please leave your comments, leave your questions for RJ and myself. And we'd love to hear all about your watch comments, your watch stories, either you're onto your 10th watch or your first watch. And, and part of the thing with RJ and I, you know, being on our uh, collector website, no matter what level you're at in the collecting game, if you're just starting or you're very experienced, we're all at the same level. We love to share each other with our stories and support one another. And that's one of the great things about the watch community. So that being said, when you do purchase a watch, you're purchasing the seller as much as you're purchasing the watch itself. So I can say that as far as how RJ and I connect, first connected was. <laughs> you knew I was going to wear it. Still got it. Yeah. Of course I do. It's Good amazing test. how when you get a watch and you love it and you connect with it, you're wearing it all the time. Let's put it up here, right? Without the yeah. reflection, the old Omega DeVille. And when you decide, it's funny, I have another collector friend that we always talk about. We're like, when you love a watch, you just want to strap it on all day. And when you decide the watch is gone, you might as well just throw it in the garbage. I don't want to look at this thing anymore. <laughs> it, it, it's hideous. Just get it out of my face. It's obviously a joke, you know, and, you know, one person's beater watch can be another person's grail, obviously. But it's funny because as RJ and I were talking, he's like, yeah, I picked it up on my trip to, uh, where did you pick it up again, RJ, this one? It was, it was Venice. And Correct. so the thing with that watch, yes. I, I went there. And, and my wife doesn't know this, but I, I planned the whole vacation. We did a cruise. Mm -hmm. And and that was right when they introduced their, their boutique editions. And the first yes. was the Venice boutique of their Aquaterra. And it's because the, the sea monster, the hippocampus was inspired by the um the sea, the sea creature that was on the the um, gondolas. Yes. And so that was, so Venice was the original one. And so we went there actually to buy that watch because I, I was deep and heavy into Omega. And when we were at the boutique, we saw the, um, the Venice Aquaterra really did nothing for me. And I saw that one <laughs> and I was instant, instantly um, fell in love with it. And I thought it was just such a good with the rose gold against the brown. And um, so that's the one I actually left with, even though we went for the whole purpose. That one I could have gotten in Toronto. Or Ross Jewelers in, in yeah. Hamilton, and we went to Venice for uh, for the sake of a different watch. I walked out with that one. And you tell me the story. I go on your Instagram account, and by the way, people, 
if you want to see what the chosen life looks like, besides this man right now sipping on uh, lightly on his scotch as he's talking, perfect hair, nice shirt, you know, this is how we present ourselves when we live the chosen life. You know, he tells me about, about the watch, a story. I'm like, okay, I, it sounds right. And I see the receipt. You showed it to me, the booklet, right? I go on your Instagram account and I scroll, scroll, scroll down. And there's a million pictures of this watch. First of all, with you matched it up with different uh, bottles of alcohol and how, it, you know, your photography is amazing. As, in, as an influencer, you know what you're doing, buddy. And then I see the watch in Venice and you're taking the shots when you first picked it up. I'm like, this is so cool because... You know, I'm, I'm wearing RJ's watch and I'm wearing his yeah. story and then I get to live that, you know, and yeah. uh, why did I want this watch originally? Uh, do you remember? I t- did I tell you the story at the time? No, you were just you were big into dress watches as a lawyer. Yeah. And, and the sense. power reserve, the power reserve indicator was was one of those functions that you really liked on the dial. You remember that? That's right. Yeah. Half the watches I own, I, I love the power reserve because I, I don't know. I'm obsessed with it. I like to see how much time is left. Whether it's manual wine or automatic, it just makes me feel good. I got the big pilot, got to see the mm-hmm. seven day, you know, it's just a lot of fun. But where it all began was watch envy. What do I mean by watch envy? I bought uh, with my partner a, the exact same model, but the stainless version with the slate gray dial and the blue hands for the retiring partner at our office. And I had to sit on that watch for months, probably like six to nine months because of COVID. And we're not having our banquet dinner and we can't give it to them. And finally we said, you know what? Enough's enough. We're going to have a virtual banquet. We're going to deliver fruit to everybody's home. We're going to send him the watch and he's going to get the watch in this banquet virtually. So Jerry opens up the watch. Jerry loves the watch. He's all excited. The next day he pops by the office and he's wearing the watch. And I look at it on his wrist. I said, damn, I like that watch. You know, like I, I've had this watch sitting in the box. I've looked at it, but when you see it on the wrist, it's yeah. so different. Some watches... When you see them in the showcase, you love them. You put on the wrist, you hate it. Sometimes yeah. you see in the showcase, you're like, eh. And then you see on the wrist, it's different. When I saw it on his wrist, I said, I get it now. And of course, you had to list it on the website. You just <laughs> had to be the guy with the DeVille, except yours is the two-tone uh, with the chocolate dial. And I start messaging you and boom, we make a deal, except that I can't make it to your area, Niagara, for close to a month. You held it for me. You're a good guy about it. Came to your home. You don't know me, but you know me off the site. And boom, the watch gets left on my wrist and the story's done. You know, it's amazing. But uh, mm-hmm. the reason why we pick our watches and how we connect with it. And because I, I, I knew you through the site, I've heard your name before. And then I got to meet you in your home and I got to see your collection. I said to myself, this is a pretty cool thing. So mm-hmm. I really bought the seller as much as I bought the watch. Are, do you buy your watches the same way Are you, as far as does it matter for you where they came from, from who it came from? Well, yeah, I mean, especially now online, you have to really trust because it, it's crazy how comfortable you are sending thousands of dollars online where not that long ago, you'd be afraid to even put your credit card on a website on the computer. Absolutely. And now you just blind trust. So it can't be completely blind. So you, you need to make sure that you trust who's, who's going to send, especially if it's sight unseen. But I'm not that big. I'm, I'm perfectly happy with pre-owned. You know, if it's in decent condition and, and for me with collecting, it's, you know, as, as big as my collection is, I try not to have too much redundancy. So that, that DeVille, as, as much as I loved it, uh, I felt it had to go because I, I picked up the, um, the Langa and you see it's very, very similar. The rose gold so is more of a, a gray, the grayish style, but it's like an earth tone gray. So it really, 
it has the same risk presence in a lot of ways. So for me, it, it's about the risk presence of the watch. So if I have a watch that has a similar risk presence, it's like you said, when you're planning what you're gonna wear, I don't wanna have too many watch face-offs. Because if there is, if there's a face-off between two, I'm generally gonna always go to, to one. And then that's, a, that's the only time I'll move a watch if I feel it's, it's redundant in the collection. So that, that dress watch, earth tone dial with the, uh, the rose gold bezel and, and this one's rose gold case. So they had to go to, to allow this one into the box. Which is the ironic part because I love this piece. I've enjoyed wearing it. It's gotten the most rotation since I got picked up because it's such a good lawyer watch, honestly. Yeah. I love it with jeans. I love it with the suit. But for clarification, as much as I love this watch, I would trade for that piece that you just showed in a heartbeat, would not yeah. ask questions. Thank you very much, RJ. Yeah. Enjoy back your DeVille. But, but, it, but on the other hand, and I sent you a picture of it and we were laughing about it about a couple yeah. weeks ago. Another DeVille came up on the site. It was the same one as Jerry's with the same slate gray and with the blue hands. I couldn't resist it. I just, because the thing was, uh -huh. the guy got a custom strap. It's now a, he got, not the croc. It's got the simple leather strap, less, yeah. less dressy, stainless versus two-tone. I said, you know what? This is my worst problem in life that I own two DeVilles. I'll figure it out later. <laughs> and I met the guy and you know what? A great guy, again, from CWC, professional, does a lot of traveling. And, and for him, he just had too much in the collection. Something had to go. And it's funny how no matter what our professions are, when we have the same love of being watch connoisseurs, we all connect. It's just amazing yeah. how that comes to be. And I remember every well, single person who yeah. sold me a watch and how I connected with them. Well, that's the thing. There, there's not many things in life that will instantly bond people. And watch collecting is one of them. It, it's amazing. It's because whatever brings you to watches, also there's other qualities about you on many different levels that also connect. So the thing that attracts us to watches you know, just it, it's a visible marker of other parts of ourselves that that tend to mesh well. So there's not many things that will instantly bond you. So yes. it's um, it's one of those things that immediately they're, they're, and that's like you said earlier, has nothing to do with how much you spend or what your watch budget is. It's, you know, if you love watches, you love all watches. And so you could you can be just as passionate about fossil collection you know if that's the extent of of your your disposable money for watches Boy. and you get a seat at the table because it's about the appreciation the love and and those guys who who you know love their fossils or victas or, or whatever they are they still have all the same qualities that that connect us so that, that's a great thing about it it's the the inclusiveness and it's ironic because a big part of the luxury market is trying to be exclusive and the exclusivity and, and the Veblenism. And yet with watch collecting, it's about <laughs> inclusiveness of, of all of us. So one of the, one of the, the greatest ironies is that they're trying to sell you this elite <laughs> membership to a secret club. And on the collector side, where we just want everyone to, to come in, you know, as opposed to the people who are wearing it just as status symbols and, and are buying into the fantasy as opposed to actually buying a, a watch well we laugh about it on the forums right because the people that are watching the rap videos and watching the award shows <laughs> and they're going and they're grabbing uh, I, I had to bling up for today i usually don't wear the chain out but for you buddy i had to bling it up a little <laughs> bit because i knew the game is so high right now there you go i gotta come to the party but 
you know, the people that went and they're like, oh, wow, I saw Jay-Z and he was sitting there with his, uh, with his uh, Tiffany Patek and he's wearing his uh, Dior Jordans, you know, and then they, they go off to GOAT or whatever. And they're not wa- lovers of watches. They have no idea. They don't know how to wind yeah. it. They don't know how to take care of it. They're just doing it because that's the in thing and that's it. Versus somebody that like truly appreciates the piece and loves the collection and, and you know, remembers their first watch like it was yesterday and that whole journey and the story of how it goes. And that's, you know, that's where I'd love to learn people's stories of where they all began. I know where I began and I'll talk about that in a minute, but for yourself, first of all, uh, background wise for the listeners. So your background, like I know you as super doc, right? That's your handle on, <laughs> yeah. on CWC and yeah. you are super doc because you are a. Well, I'm a doctor. Person. Yeah. Big surprise. <laughs> and it's not Dr. Feelgood. It's not Dr. Feelgood. He's an actual real doctor, <laughs> folks. And yeah. uh, in your day-to-day, when you're not uh, taking multiple vacations and sipping on scotch, uh, what what is what is your uh, professional life look like, RJ? Well, right right now it, it's because we have uh, we have a few different streams. Mm-hmm. So we've got the the weight loss clinic, which is a, a big segment of our practice, and then just general comprehensive, you know, family practice plus a um, urgent care type clinic so it's it's keeping us hopping and that's where especially last little while with with covid we've been busy and and the weight loss part of it is is more well weight loss lifestyle well-being wellness men's health so that's a that's a big part of the stream and then we do just regular good old-fashioned medicine as well so it it keeps us busy but that's where you need vices that's the super part was more more yes. is my Superman, uh, Superman love. So that's where it's, uh, you know, I, I still collect, uh, I don't collect the comics as much anymore, but still the memorabilia, as much Superman uh, gear as, as possible. But you were watching Superman and you decided like you, and I met you to be quite frank. It looks like someone took a piece of granite, chiseled it. And that's you like, you are, when people say like, I'm in the best shape of my life, like, dude, you are 24 seven in the best shape of your life. And I was like, so impressed because I know the journey I took and I was not always that great and disciplined. And it, it, I'd still, you know, I, I wear the shirts, you know, to, <laughs> to always, you know, to inspire others to say, Hey, you can start from nothing and work your way to something. And I, I could tell you, man, from the time I wake up to the time I go sleep, I know when I'm working out that day, if I am, what I'm eating, when I'm eating, you know, it's a lifelong commitment and it's not a struggle. I, I know my routine and everything else and I feel good about it. You know, when I see you and I see the, you know, when people meet you, they obviously are inspired. When did, how soon in your life, how early on did you make the commitment to fitness and health, nutrition? Like, what was your path in that? Well, well, it's funny because early on, mm-hmm. you start working out to, to supplement hockey and for strength and, and as part of a, a training for, for sport. And then before too long, the, the hockey part wasn't really going anywhere. And, and I actually had less interest. So the, the, the working out became more just therapeutic in a lot of ways. And so it's a, it's a daily challenge, which is really, really exciting because it, because no more than anywhere else, just like in life, the, the contest is always you against who you were yesterday. And what I loved about the, um, the training was not only was it some quiet time to yourself, it's all about setting that that bar and that challenge for yourself and having a measurable objective way to know if you're you're making progress. The nutrition part didn't actually come in until med school. I always say I went to med school to to better my bodybuilding. 
because before it's all ego lifts and and throwing weight around and and impaired form and all that stuff without even realizing everything else that goes into it and then it really um as you get older you really have to double down on the diet and and the regimen and the routine because it's, it's amazing what you can get away with in your 20s so you see all these all these guys on Instagram and, and YouTube in their early 20s showing their uh, showing their abs. They had a diet of steady beer, pizza, and ramen noodles, and I had abs in my 20s. Now, now it's a lot harder. <laughs> when you're in your mid 40s, you've got to actually really restrict calories, count them, watch your macros, and mm-hmm. um, and then make sure that you're you're logging your your physical activity. I can tell you, buddy, that when I, I'm in my mid-40s as well, I, I look at pictures of myself in my 20s. I can tell you I'm in much better shape now than I was back then. <laughs> and, I, and I and I can dare venture that you probably could say the same thing. And I've seen pictures of you through Instagram because I'm looking at the watches. And I want to see the collection, right? And I can tell you, man, you're every year you're looking younger. Like <laughs> you're doing this Benjamin Button thing. And people used to call me Benjamin Button. And people tell me, how do you do that? And I'm like, it's pretty simple. You eat really well, exercise, and just don't let sh- don't let stuff yeah. get to you. Like, just enjoy your life, man. Like, do not go, go to bed happy, wake up happy. And life is a lot simpler. And guess what? You don't age if you just be happy, yeah. right? That's what, in the last couple of years, I've gotten into fasting as well. And I found oh, yeah. it's really, okay. really been effective. It's it's a lot easier to do in the summers than than the, the colder weather. I've noticed that as well. Yeah. When I was doing my bodybuilding show, I, I did the yeah. IF and I did it in the spring, summer. And it was much easier. But I can tell you, certainly when I go for strength, and conditioning versus just uh, cutting, cutting, cutting. Life is a lot more fun that way. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, so, and it's funny because you know that it's. I, I, I think I've noticed because I, I follow your, your, you're an open book. Like if somebody watches your Instagram, like you get to know your life. You get to see your family. You get to see what you're about. And the discipline you have in your professional life is a discipline you have in your personal life. Is how you take care of yourself. Is a discipline you have in your watch collecting. Like everything you're doing, RJ, in your in in in. In, uh, in um, alcohol, as far as uh, uh, understanding uh, the connoisseur of uh, what you consume uh, liquid-wise. And, and if you're doing something, you're doing it right. And that's where I, I want to know, when did you get into watch collecting? When did the watch bug hit you? And how yeah. did your journey get to be where you are today? That, that's the tough part, because somewhere along the line, it takes on a life of its own. Mm-hmm. So I always... Always kind of wore a watch. It's, it's really the only jewelry a man can wear for the longest time, other than a, yes. a giant uh, Mr. T-like necklace. Thank you. Yes, <laughs> but, that is what I'm going but, for. Uh, but yeah, so it was always kind of the the fashion accessory for a bit. And then, you know, my first, and then it became this this idea and this symbol of, of success or, or achievement. And somewhere along the way, something else happened. So it, it's one of those funny questions because you ask someone why they love watches. It's like asking, why do you love your wife? And, and what you start to do is come up with valid arguments to justify your love. So you, you start listing off all of her good qualities or, or you start listing off things that sound good that would be a reasonable, valid reason for, for loving watches. And none of it really have to do with why you're in love with them. And, and the thing is that somewhere along the way, the, the nucleus of humans just lit up with dopamine when you, when you put a watch on and you can't really explain it because it's on a subcortical level. 
and, and it's still really hard. Uh, people who don't understand never will. And there's a lot of things that I couldn't possibly understand the, the passion for. I mean, cars do very little for me. And some people are really into so many other things. You're literally to everything <laughs> possibly else. And car, because you have to have the car because you got to go on the steering wheel with the symbol and you got to match yeah, up there you go. the dial to the, to, the, to the steering wheel. But uh, that being said, okay, we're going to talk about the subject of love. Yeah. When did you break your watch virginity? Who was your first? Well, the, the first was an Esquire. In, okay. uh, as, uh, my last year in med school, as I was starting to do the, the in-office um, rotations. That and, was your first uh, watch the, relationship was the Esquire. Was, was the Esquire. Yeah, okay. it was uh, $300, which at, at the time, it was on sale at the Bay in Ottawa, where I was in med school. Okay. And it and I had a, a med student line of credit. Actually, <laughs> I was a bit nervous buying it, but it felt like you know, my last year of med school and graduating, and and that became that that symbol, and and that was the the first time that the watch then became part of the image you present, because I wanted because you know, that time I had like a, a Timex on a plastic rubber strap that okay. wouldn't look as well with the uh, the suit and tie, oh, so that that became part of part of that that first symbol and and the watch taking on meaning other than than just a timepiece, and then my first good watch after practicing um in private practice for a mm -hmm. bit and getting out of debt and then wanting to commemorate was the um the seamaster planet ocean the bond watch what okay which and one the, did you pick up do you recall the this the seamaster professional so the the pierce brosnan what's that so so uh so not the mid-size the full-size one the full-size yeah yeah so it was the the automatic though so in goldeneye he had the quartz mm -hmm. and then in um Tomorrow Never Dies, uh, I think, was the, the one where he had the automatic. Yes. And so so that was the one I bought. But by, when I bought it, it was 2006. And so that was okay. the Casino Royale. And he wore it in the final scene. And it was, um, but it was a used one because at the time, still, the idea of spending that much was um, a bit anxiety provoking. And that was, that blue, was the, first... the blue dial, blue bezel one? Blue dial, blue bezel with the wave. With the wave and the stainless steel. And that was 2006. It was 2006. Yeah. Which is amazing to me because aging you and knowing where you're at, I would have figured you a lot earlier in the game. It's amazing. You actually came a little later in life. Yeah, well, I was broke for the longest time. Well, <laughs> med school and then getting out of debt. RJ, that does so not when... stop most of us, my friend. We find <laughs> a way. We find a way there. Yeah, that's probably true. Uh, it's it's bad. Like, And I know, I'm kidding aside, obviously, but uh, you know, I always tell people, if, if you got to go into heavy debt for it, if it's going to change your lifestyle, don't do it, please. It's not worth it. You know, yeah. if you got to choose between a car that works and doesn't work or a watch, please get the car, you know, please pay your <laughs> rent. Don't do that. But, you know, especially when you're younger and you're enjoying it, like I can tell you, like I only own one piece for the longest time. If I want something else, I had to sell the piece. And that's the way it was. That was my collecting forever. It was a big hill in my mind over to climb to get a second piece and carry two at the same time. And then, you know, then it snowballs from there. Yeah. Right. But I started off in uh, in high school. I was in grade ten, and it was my brother. And my I love yeah. my brother to pieces. And like my dad died at a young age, so he was like my dad. He's like much older than me, so he's like a quasi dad. And he tells me in Israeli accent, "When you go to school, you need good watch. You got to look like a nice watch. You got to wear a proper watch." So you know, I started the path as a lot of I, when you when you start off your first watch with a tag. You know, start off with the quartz yeah. tag, work our way up to the automatic tag. 
then work our way up to the Frankenstein 60s, 70s Rolex that the pawn shop put together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then work our way to the 36 date just. And then like I actually sat one day and it took me like three hours to come up with all the watches and where they went and all that. But I actually made myself my spreadsheet. But <laughs> it's funny because when I look back on my collection, I look back at what I'm doing. It all comes back to my brother. It comes back to the time we spent together, him taking me shopping, teaching me mm -hmm. about watches, the ones he liked back in the day. And everything I ended up having was stuff that he told me about, something he had or something he always wanted. And he really set this. So when, he's not even into watch collecting anymore. He wears his yeah. one and he's happy. And I, it always says to me, why do you do this? Just wear one. And I said, you did this. This is your <laughs> fault. And once you got the bug, it's really hard to stop, you know? And yeah. I mean, here, I mean, look, I'm talking to, to Mr. Watches, right? Because uh, the Holy Grail is to be on Hodinkee. For those of you, you know, type in Hodinkee, the most popular site, magazine, whatever you want to call it. And you were a feature on Hodinkee, correct? Yeah, just Tell funny because I was not really, I, yeah. I never went to Houdinki at all as, as far as website or for, for watch information. Oh, so you were not an avid Houdinki guy? No, no. <laughs> I did not know <laughs> not, that. Not, not at all. And in fact, I was actually um, somewhat anti-Houdinki because the first <laughs> did you tell them that Houdinki, first time I was actually aware of Houdinki was when yeah. they did that that collaboration with Vacheron Constantine. And, and that upset me a lot, actually, because of the way it rolled out and bash around, I didn't think they would, they would do that. And it, and it seemed, I didn't realize at the time how much influence and power it had as a website and yes. how every brand really kind of bows to them. And then it was just the brands lining up to have Vinky special editions. And, and I couldn't understand why the brands would, what I felt was like lower themselves. Why are they, you know, doing this? And so I was like, I, I, somewhat anti Houdinki for a bit. And then um, at some of the, the collector events, especially Grand Seiko, got to talk to Jack Foster and, and some of the other guys. And, you know, they're just really passionate about watches. And I think that what started for them was just this passion project and it evolved into to something else entirely. But so with Houdinki, it came out because of Grand Seiko. And they wanted to, they were doing this thing. I think I was the fourth uh, in in line, and they were doing these features on Grand Seiko collector, collectors, and it was from Grand Seiko themselves, just wanting to show what collectors were like. And this was early on, as they were starting to roll out in the U.S. as a, as a major brand and starting starting to expand. And so they they reached out to me because I was. On Instagram, starting to collect Grand Seikos and and post them more and more, okay. and and so it, it's not like a fun thing to do. I saw some of the other guys do it, and production value was pretty high. But they, um, I think they had a very clear image of what they wanted to portray. I'm not sure it was it was exactly what um, completely me because they they had some very strict things about doing it, and it was done over COVID during COVID time too. So they actually used a um, production company out of Toronto that would come in, but they were very clear. They didn't want the Niagara Falls. They didn't want you drinking whiskey. <laughs> they didn't want me in the, the Bentley. So there's a few things I'm not sure they quite, they, they had this image that they wanted to portray, even though the whole idea was to show what the Grand Seiko collector was all about, but then it was kind of a, a persona that, that they wanted to present. I think the idea they wanted to put forward as, as we're talking, was this um, 
because I am I'm incredibly focused on details and, and the process. And it's like you said, with bodybuilding, with everything, it's a matter of what does it take to, to reach that endpoint? And, and what I love about Seiko is, is the journey of, of Seiko and, and even the journey of Grand Seiko and all the, the effort and the time and, and the overcoming the failures and the Swiss watch chronometer competitions and, and that, that resilience and everything that went into the past 60 years of Grand Seiko to, to make it to where they are now and the past 150 years of Seiko to reach where they are now. And so they, they wanted to kind of create that story around the idea of, of appreciation of process. So they, they brought me to the vineyards <laughs> to, to go Remember and that one, yes. fondle, fondle grapes for a bit. <laughs> and, then, and then they ended it with me drinking the wine. So I think they had this, this little uh, artistic vignette in mind yes. and kind of put me in that, in that role. And some of the things I insisted on that made it to that, that feature, which yes. is a little happier, I insisted some shots from the gym. And, and at the clinic and whatnot, and then showing actually who you are. I can tell you, you being featured on Hodinkee is like Tom Brady on Sports Illustrated. That's the kind of level <laughs> for watch collecting. Like, it's a big deal. Like, uh, CWC was blowing up and losing its mind <laughs> when you're on there. And I can tell you, I, I've seen the pictures. I've read the article. And I will tell you, if that was me, man, I'd have shirts made up in color of those shots. <laughs> I would get wallpaper done in my man cave of me. <laughs> With the funneling those grapes, that it came yeah. out amazing. You looked like a million bucks on there. So power to you. And now yeah, I remember thanks. when I was at your house. Now correct me if I'm wrong. I recall distinctively that uh, your wife Michelle was on the phone and talking about with a friend of hers that your collection was getting flown out to New York. Was that? Yeah, that was the Houdinki. Yeah. So so, they so folks, um, folks, let, let's make it clear. Yeah. RJ's Grand Seagull collection is getting picked yeah. up and flown to New York. Okay. This is what we're yeah. talking about. Like that's, that's a flex, man. That's amazing. <laughs> and like, did you, were you worried about your watches getting wrapped up and making it well, there and getting back? So that was amazing is because yeah. they wanted to photograph the watches and do the watch stuff in their own studio. Yes. Right? They didn't trust um, the Toronto guys <laughs> to do it. So they sent this clamshell traveling case with uh, bubble wrap and everything else. And so I think at the time I had 12 Grand Seiko. And so you, you pack them up and then they insure them for the market value, which, which is my main concern is because at the time, like the, the Peacock, which I think was 8,000 Canadian was, was trading at 15 or, or 16. And, and some of the other limited edition ones were, and, and some of those you can't get. So even, you know, replacement value is tough because they you can't get it again. Then, yeah, back then Seiko limited editions were 500, 600. Yes. Now they're two thousand plus. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. so that was my biggest concern was if something went wrong. And so they insured it at current market values, which at least gave you a little bit of peace of mind. And so then yeah, they shipped them off and they cleaned them up and took photos of them and did the the loop and the rotating video yes. things and. And then they, they sent them all back. But yeah, it was, uh, it was were tough. You, were you like, happy to be reunited with them? You felt good? Like it was yeah, a, good a few weeks without. And that's how you know which watches you, you miss. Because I've got um, probably over 70 watches now. Yep. And some that I recently moved. Because I, I looked, I haven't worn them in two years. <laughs> and yeah, so yeah. It, um, you realize you don't miss them. 
And, and we've got some that when we go away, we, we put them in the, the safe deposit. Of course. I haven't, <laughs> haven't gone to pick them up yet. And it's because I don't really, some of those I, I don't miss that much. But, you know, it's funny when you and I were growing up, you know, Seiko is the Seiko that like your brother wore that's sitting in the bottom of the drawer that this <laughs> is like, you know, a step above a calculator watch, basically. You want to put in relatively terms of what Seiko yeah. was when we were growing up. I just came back from Miami, by the way, and you're right about, no, I- uh, yes. Yeah, so I went down to South Beach and you are 100% right. I should have gone to Paris. I should have come with you guys. <laughs> like, it's it's terrible out there. It's fun, but it is expensive. Wow. Yeah, and. Yeah. But I'm on the stretch there, and what do I see? The Grand Seiko store, and it's right oh, beside yeah, the boutique at the uh, Design District. Of course, you know, and it's right yeah. beside the Rolex shop, which is the funniest thing because you walk by the Rolex shop, right? There's a security guards, there's like five staff, and they're managing a store with like three watches in there. It's yeah. the, like what? Do you, what? What? What point do you guys serve here? You might as well just leave one person. What? What are you securing yeah. exactly? So, but uh, but Grand Seiko at that level, and. You know, Hodinki, when they do their videos and they do their photography, you think there's nice videos and nice uh, photography in magazines and websites. They're at another level. Like they're using like $3 million cameras. Like when I watch their interviews with the celebrities, like, wow, their quality. So Hodinki, you know, I think it was pretty cool, man. And I'm glad they reached out to you and it was a great feature and all. And part of the thing why is because, for example, you and I were about to start our discussion. And I said to you, RJ, remember, uh, did you bring some watches for show and tell? And he goes, yeah, let me grab one of the boxes. Folks, <laughs> what we're about to see is one of the boxes. When I came over to your home and you're going to go grab the box for the Omega, you left me with one of the boxes. <laughs> one of these boxes is like beyond. This is like 10 people's grails. Like, please, without further ado, buddy, you brought show and tell. Let's see them. What do we yeah, got today? Well, this one. So we saw one of them already because it's 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 eclectic. So that's good. This one, um, this is the one that um, like is 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 the current rotation. So I'm not sure how well you can see. Well, let's maybe we start pulling up one by one. Okay, so, let's see that. Okay, we can see them pretty so well. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so and maybe we can start few, pulling them out a couple yeah. one at a time. And you know, people are drooling right now on their mouse pads seeing this. Well, so, okay, so here's the, um, this was actually, ironically, the first watch I bought because I was looking for a dress watch. Okay. Uh, this is the, the Breguet Marine Big Date. Uh, this is their sports watch. <laughs> and at the time, this was, for me, as dressy as I was willing to get. Let's see the back but, of it. Uh, what's that? The back of it? The back, oh, it's got the, the display back. And Beautiful, Breguet. nice clear back. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Breguet is one of those so, brands. It's funny, like not a lot of mainstream people necessarily know, but the collectors love it. I got love Breguet. So great choice. If, uh, if Breguet was controlled by anyone but Swatch Group, it would be in the same conversation with Patek almost every time. So these are, and, and right now I'm a Breguet high because I, I think they're so undervalued. I, and, I agree. That's the same thing with Suda. And I, it, it breaks my heart yeah. that the Swatch Group is dealing with them because it's such a good piece, but... Yeah. Nobody knows because they're just focusing on Omega, essentially. Yeah, yeah, and well, Swatch Group's interesting because it's like um, you've got the two divisions there with the the, the daughter Hayek and, and the son Hayek, and they've got their favorite brands. And and he likes Omega a lot. Like she's a big fan of Blanc Pen, and and they kind of, you know, they 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 fight <laughs> amongst each other, and they've got this interesting strategy that is from Hayek Sr., where he had the, the wedding cake philosophy, yes. whereas none of the flavors can blend. 
And so when, um, when Omega, there was a time where Omega and Rolex were, were very tightly competing and, and we were big into Omega. And so we got invited to a few of the things and I was chatting with Steven Urquhart. I said like, you guys are, are you and Rolex are, are neck and neck, but what I don't understand, why aren't you everywhere that Rolex is? You've got Federer in tennis. Where's the Omega's tennis guy? And he said, no, tennis is Longines. And, and so they wouldn't, let, they wouldn't let Swatch Group brands compete with each other. And then we were uh, showing them um, old Omegas from the archives. And they had the moon phase and the day date and the dress watch. I was like, this is a fantastic watch. Why don't you guys bring this back? And he says, no, that's, that's Blancpain. And Blancpain has a, a dial very similar. So Swatch Group won't let them interact. They won't let the layers of the cake blend into each other. So they're very restricted by, by the heads up. Whereas uh, something like Richemont, they will let them all just do their thing. So they don't care that JLC and, and Vacheron have similar designs or similar price points or are advertising in the same space. So Richemont's a little better at letting each brand do their own thing, whereas Swatch controls everything. Just look at the moon Swatch. <laughs> you can't tell me Omega was, was happy about that. And then, uh, but swatch, it's like, pe it's like people don't realize that. people don't realize in cars, for example, that Volkswagen owns almost every single brand, you know. And, <laughs> yeah. and when it comes to watches, you see all these brands and think, why is this watch competing with this watch? No, they're the same company. It doesn't, you know, people yeah. understand there's like essentially three companies that control everything, and then there's the independence, and then Rolex is just at its own level right now, yeah. obviously. But uh, but but you look at the independence, and that's yeah. where you see. At Rolex, I gained a lot of respect for the way they did business before things went crazy mm -hmm. is because when you started to see the, the releases and, and everything and you watched Rolex sit back and do its thing, you realize they were playing the long game. And when some of the other brands like Omega, when another conversation with Stephen Urquhart, when they first introduced the dark side of the moon yes, and everybody was going crazy for it. Yeah. I said, you guys have something really special here. You've got, this is your Daytona. Mm -hmm. You've got people paying full retail for an Omega, which normally wouldn't happen. And this was at a time when, you know, you, you would expect at least 20 points off an Omega if you walked into Easy. A, a dealer. Yeah. I said, now you've got people lining up for it. Mm -hmm. So what you need to do is hold it back, make people earn the right. They were, they were rolling out their boutique model at the time to make this a boutique exclusive you know, make people feel like they have to earn the right to buy this. And, and he's like, oh yeah, you're right, you're right, you're right. But it was a big seller. So what they did instead was they gave us five more of them in every color combination and every iteration. And they flooded to the market to the point where you started to see it on Joma Shop for 50% off. And, yeah. and I was upset by that, but I realized that he had a hell of a bonus that quarter because he had fantastic sales. And, and in those big, those big conglomerates, that's what it really comes down to is keeping the shareholders happy, meeting your quotas, whereas Rolex, AP, Patek, they, they can sit back and play the long game. So they can, they can restrict production because they don't care about next quarter. When you say that, I think Rolex. about Panerai immediately, yeah. you know, Panerai had the secret sauce, everything yep. for the going and they just flush it all. Now they're starting to make their rebound, right? Yeah. Luckily enough for them. And, you know, they had such a unique product in a, in, a, in a world of watches that so many similarities. Well, 
they were just a really unique one. And then they yeah. just decided let's flood and flood and flood. Let's make a million special editions. Let's make every yeah. radiation of it. Let's change how the, the quality of the product. And yeah, you know, people uh, that the one you're holding right now, yeah. see, it's, it's funny. Well, a lot of people don't know longer, but it's, you know, longer. consider, you know, to tell us as far as people talk about what's the, the Holy Trinity, like what is yeah. in your estimation, what are the top three? Well, I, I still don't understand what AP is doing there. And I love AP, mm -hmm. but I, I, I really don't think it belongs in, in that, that conversation. I mean, Patek, yes, yes. And, and, you know, I have, I have only the one, the one Patek, which is the, the dressy Calatrava, which okay. uh, this is actually, which a, is their DeVille, you know, which, which is uh, yeah. Rolex yeah, Cicilline. Everybody their... has the version. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is your, your classic dress watch. Yeah. And um, with the display back, this is uh, yeah. this one had a very short production run. Okay. And uh, I tend to be attracted to watches that everybody else seems to hate. <laughs> so this one. But you and I have similar tastes, which is pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> That's, I told you we're, we're watch brothers from different mothers, but yeah. uh, I appreciate where you're so, coming so from. Th this was the, the Calatrava, but it was at the time when the trend was to bigger watches. Mm -hmm. And so this one is 38 millimeter dial and bezel. But what they did effectively was slap it on a much smaller watch's chasis. So you mm -hmm. see where the lugs actually are and you see the size of the movement. And yes. it's like this big saucer over top. Mm -hmm. So they basically made a 38 millimeter watch with a 33 millimeter movement and, and a smaller base. So effectively they slapped this, this bigger saucer onto a smaller plate. So you see the, the lugs actually look really tiny because yes. they were meant to they were meant to fit the case over here as opposed to up here but it, it makes for a really nice dress watch and, and a streamlined look and and so the strap is 16 millimeters instead look at the of deployant 18. on that one like the deployant yeah. the, the the clasp so, is just gorgeous so that's where um so this is my one patek but you know the finishing and and the details are amazing and when you look at some of their actual complications they're just outstanding. And, and I think that it really bothers them that anyone, that all anyone cares about is, is the Nautilus. That was meant to be their entry level um, introductory to the brand piece. And yeah. so I think that to some level, um, it frustrates the, the higher ups that all anyone wants is their, what they thought was their crappiest entry level affordable piece. And if you and I wanna pick up a rubber strap Aquanaut, how we go? How are we going to do on that one? We're going to be on a what, eight hundred year yeah. waiting list? Yeah, which they is obscene. Entertain the idea. What, what is it? A, retail on a on a rubber strap Aquanaut retail is what 25, 30? 25. I, I and that's the thing. I remember. Yeah. Even the the Nautilus. I remember yeah. leaving that at the jeweler's case so yeah. many times. All the time. Three yeah. three separate times, yeah. and it's because at the time I think it was like an eighteen thousand dollar watch, mm -hmm. and it didn't feel like it was worth 18,000. And, and at the time, I think the first time I left it, I had just gotten my, um, my uh, day date, my, my solid yellow gold presidential day date. And I think I paid 12,000 for it or something ridiculous. Yeah. And I was like, this is a $12,000 watch. There's no way this is an ATA. It was yeah. flimsy and, and didn't really do much for me. That's why I say I didn't, I didn't like it at 18. I sure as hell don't love it at 80. And, and the Aquanaut, same thing. I remember leaving that at, at 18 and uh, now it was like 80,000 or, or more than that. For rubber strap, folks, for yeah. rubber strap. For, so, for a basic 300. But Langa, okay. I think, definitely belongs in the, 
in the Holy Trinity. Lang is an interesting brand right now. Mm-hmm. This is, um, I only have two. I have this one in the, the, the time zone. Okay. But the only two. The detail, only two. Yes. <laughs> the finishing and the details are, are amazing. And, and Langa right now, what's interesting is it says the micro rotor is there, their automatic Saxonia, but, um, everybody thinks it's all, Swiss, it's all Swiss watches, right? Langa. No, this Langa is German. Yeah. Right. So, so, and they're, and they're, and they're considered one of the tops and they're not a Swiss brand. No, and they're, um, they're part of Richemont group. Mm-hmm. But what's going on with Langa right now is that Tell their us. production is legitimately low and slow. And they, they hand finish everything in the movement after it's assembled and they, they test it and it's accurate and it passes their tests. Then they deassemble it and reassemble again. And, and each person's finishing is a little bit unique. So you know who finished the movement based on some of the, the finishing and the guilloche. And so they have a really slow production. And the problem they're facing now is um, as demand ramps up, and they're starting to gain attention, they just can't keep up with production. And so now you're starting to see these kind of go up a bit on the secondary because nobody wants to wait. <laughs> no, one, no one has the patience to wait. They just all want it now. But, uh, but Langa's amazing. I, w- I would agree with you as well. I mean, I, I would say the most uh, quote-unquote experts will say Patek, AP, and Vacheron are the three. But I agree with yeah. you that, that, that Langa has yeah. to be in that conversation. Yeah, Vacheron, Vacheron, I really like. But well, there's another brand too that it's highly underrated. About, it's all become about the overseas, mm-hmm. and um, some of the Vacheron, their complications, their world timers, they're amazing. That's the the Samurai Lion. <laughs> so that's the big heavy uh, Grand Seiko. That's the big Grand Seiko. That's not Daytona, folks. You're looking at. You think it is? No, it's a Grand Seiko. Massive heavy watch. I love this watch. It, it looks it's heavy. A, <laughs> yeah, it's a. It's a statement piece. Uh, it's their lion's claw case, but this one has so many different points of light. And, and with their polishing, you've got the mirrored Zeratsu polish against the brush. There's this one, this one shines. And then the dial is, is textured. It's their, their lion's main dial. This it's, is when you're going to go a, chop trees and you're going to do some bench. Then you're going to go put that watch a, on. It, it's a GMT chronograph spring drive. There's so many functions that I've never used. Let's see. Oh, there's the, uh, there's the Panerai. There's the Panerai. It's okay. Submersible. You have to have one Panerai. I've never I, had actually, one. Actually, I, I always I've, said I've never had more than one because yes. they're so similar. Yeah. I have, I have this one and I have the Lumina Marina, which actually do have a very different wrist presence. So the, the Lumina Marina is like their dress watch by comparison. Yes. Don't bezel. hate me, but I really want a Radomir. That's uh, without the crown oh, yeah. guard. <laughs> I like the Radomirs, like, you know, and it, it's, it's one of those things. To me, Panerai with that crown guard is like a breathling, like the style of the bracelet. You either love it or yeah. you hate it, you know? Uh-huh. It's kind of like when, when I do the whole comparison of the biggies, you're yeah. either an AP guy or you're a protect guy, generally. You're not both. You favor one or the other the same way you like yeah. the Stones or you like the Beatles. <laughs> if you're picking AP or Patek, you're picking Patek, correct? Uh, it, it depends. So depends I on the model? The Royal Oak, right? Yeah. I, I have three Royal Oaks. Oh, but, wow. Okay, um, okay. I don't see them as horology i don't see them as uh, near the same level and even you know they've got some minute repeaters and they've got uh, tourbillon but they just stuff it in the royal oak case <laughs> and so for me the beauty of patek is is 
the, the variability in their case design and their models, and yet they're still all on that amazing level. So you look at their, their perpetual calendars and their minute repeaters, and they're very different than their sports watches and their Nautilus. You know, as, as opposed to AP, you just keep stuffing everything into the Royal Oak case. Yes. And <laughs> other than the code, which, which I don't mind the code, but uh, again, I, I would be all in on the code if it was 18,000, but at, at 30 and change, it's just, there's so much, so much better watches for that, that price range. It's funny when we talk in CWC and we go, and we go on the forums, right? And we, yeah. and we come, and then we come on and we do the virtual talks. I remember like, I, I love watches. I study them, but I still feel like such an amateur. Cause like, Oh, I like the one, one, nine, seven case. No, yeah. I prefer the two, seven, oh, I'm like, yeah, like, I, I'm sorry. I don't memorize the stuff. And people take it that seriously. Like, oh, yeah. yeah. Like the, the, the width, this one went by one millimeter. Like, wow. <laughs> like this is how intense people are. Tell us oh, what's yeah. the other one we got holding there. Well, yeah. That's why I said when you go to like some of the watch meetups, it's yes. like, you know, if you're a Star Trek fan, I was like, yeah, I like Star Trek. I watched Next Generation. I um, watched the movies. I, I'm a Trekkie. I know some of the characters. Then you go to some of these things and people are speaking Klingon to each other. Yeah. <laughs> like you're in, a, you're in a completely different zone. But yeah, I, I get a lot of that. Especially Grand Seiko guys are, are some of the worst. And it's like, oh yeah, that's the SBG6212. And I'm like, oh, shit <laughs> yeah like the, but, you know you know the first the, if you're if you're gonna learn anything when you're starting off in-house movement versus eta <laughs> go research that eta go learn up eta in-house movement and look at all those debates on your brand mm. and have fun with that there's gonna be forums yeah. till the end of time on that <laughs> yeah yeah you'll be up all night so that's the globe master oh yeah so this one um in a few iterations so was, of that one that's that one's a yes. very it doesn't have all the worlds and uh, countries in yeah, there. Yeah, so this was the original, uh, mm -hmm. the first launch. Yes. And um, so this one, this one I love. I just that classic dress watch, but yeah. the fluted, the fluted bezel, which they get upset if you call it a fluted bezel. Because uh, the bezel looks very coin. familiar to me. Yeah, it looks like it's a I, coin bezel okay. that, that goes back to the. Uh, and is that a rubber strap or a leather strap on that one? Has nothing to do with Rolex Datejust. No, it's leather strap, and so and yep. it's got the the platinum stitching. Ah, nice. And so, so the interesting story about this one, this was, uh, this is number 007 because it was limited to 352. Of course pieces. it is. Yes. And um, so this is, this is 007, but I was, um, so, so I, I saw this uh, when they introduced it at, at Basel World. Yes. And, and I loved it and they said I wanted it and they said I want number 007 and that had to be approved by, um, by Reynold Ashelman at the time was vice president. And so he proved me 007. And then we were in Switzerland for the Crown Montana and we went to the factory and they were starting to come off. Um, now they, you they were at the yet, Omega factory. The Omega factory, yeah. And they weren't, uh, they weren't yet producing this. Yes. And, and Greg uh, Kissling at the time, who's their, their designer, brilliant. And, and he still had a design there. So anything that's been coming out, all these new models and designs, it's all Greg and he, he's an absolute genius. But he took me aside and he said, um, we've decided we're going to add the date window to this model. So all the Globemasters have a date at six o'clock. And that was part of the new um, 8800 movement or, or whatever it was. And um, the thing is, they have a steel model that now with the date looks almost identical. Yes. And, and so it was me and, and one other collector at the time. He, um, he got number one and he was like a 
big time collector who gets number one of every limited edition. So he has a lot more power than I do. Okay. And, um, and I said, well, how do you feel about that? And he was, he was like, ah, I don't care that much. And I spent the night trying to convince him <laughs> why this should not have a date. And then he came on board and we submitted a, a letter to uh, Stephen Urquhart about how the platinum should remain without a date. And then a few weeks later, we get a, an email saying we've, uh, we've reconsidered and we're gonna make this a, a dateless model. So what I've always wondered is if there's a date wheel somewhere under, under there <laughs> spinning, spinning around. But the casing is a platinum? It, it is a platinum? It's, it's platinum, yeah. It's not, it's not platinum, just platinum stitching, the, it's a platinum, platinum watch. It's a platinum case, yeah. Yes. And, and it's got the enamel medallion and yes. the, the gold the gold rotor and but the the bezel is white gold because as as rolex will tell you up until last year it's it's very hard to to make platinum fluted because it's it's a very difficult hard metal to work with well, we will so, talk about uh, shortly yes yeah so, that's so, why um historically the the platinum the platinum day date has always been smooth bezel so it's like, you know how I pull out pens in my office when we're about to go signing? This is how he's playing. Oh, by the way, this is the long gun. This is the day date. And, you know, this is the Omega. And this is the one that the, the president got me, the 007. So I got to ask you a question now because I've watched yeah. John Mayer interviews. And yeah. then I got I got to know because I know he's been taken to the factory. And yeah. then they've just customized them and created watches on the whim of what he wanted. Did you ever have one of those made up for you? Uh, no, but we got a little bit into the conversation because um, the other collector there absolutely was, and he wanted yes. a minute repeater. And, right. and I'm not sure where that is in, in production right now. But because he was, a big, he was a big Patek guy. Yes. And, and it's funny because he had Patek and he, he was deep into Patek and just had this soft spot for Omega. So yes. you're talking about like billionaire type, yes. um, type wealth. And so that's why every limited edition that comes out, he gets, he gets number one of. Yes. And so they were talking about that. And then I was, I was talking about other models that I would like to, to see. Yes. And they said, oh, well, we could potentially um, have you meet Mr. Hayek. And then uh, never happened. <laughs> but uh, just but, to be clear, yeah, if, so they, they do do yeah. that. But to be clear, like, for example, like you read about these collectors and Spilly J on CWC, you know, uh -huh. you picked up the longer from him, I believe, right? Yeah, yeah. He gets these watches on the eleven. It's two hundred fifty thousand dollar Patek that the person yeah. customized with a different dial. So you got the original dial and you got the custom dial. Yeah, yeah. To be clear, for somebody to come to Patek and first of all, just to get the text in general is very difficult. Yeah. The popular ones, somebody is customizing their own Pateks. What kind of dollars are these people hmm. spending on? Like we're now yeah. in the uh, not just hundreds of thousands, right? Like we could be oh, now yeah. in the millions yeah. easily, correct? Oh, easily. Yeah. So, so to be clear, when you so if we're going to talk about levels because everything's levels, right? Yeah. At the end of the day, we're talking about yeah. levels of watch collecting. John Mayer's going to the factory, getting his own watches. There's there's yeah. John Mayer, there's RJ, yeah. and there's and there's me. I'm down here. You know, yeah. hey, you know, I got my Deville. What's going on? You know, but <laughs> it's funny because you know, no matter where you are in the game, you can always find somebody that's just a little more, a little yeah. more. You know, like you're you're saying seventy watches. Like most people can't fathom that. <laughs> But, you know, it's like DJ Khaled with his shoes. I'm sure there's people yeah, that have yeah. 700 watches. Like, it's yeah. it never ends. But, but the thing is now, so some of those hardcore Patek collectors yes. are now really, really upset. Because a guy like a guy like this guy, um, yes. now they won't even return his calls. 
and he spent millions of dollars with Patek. And it's because uh, Leonardo DiCaprio wants that Nautilus or Jay-Z. So now it's not only how much money can you spend, it's what can you do for the brand? Yes. And no one cares that this 70-year-old guy, billionaire, is going to wear his, his Patek in his, in, his home, Amazing. in his home suite or in his, on his yacht. They want to see it out there on the wrists of, of celebrities. And so that's where it's become more this, um, this whole other world of trying to sell a, a lifestyle idea. Yeah. You just wonder who they're selling it to because no one can buy the watches. <laughs> so it's, uh, unless it's part of a, you know, uh, they know that in the long run, production will, will meet demand and they'll have to sell to someone. Without getting too deep well, into it, but just a curiosity, the, the retailers, the manufacturers, the connections you've built up, it sounds like you've built up a quite extensive uh, network for yourself. Do you find now less people are taking your phone calls than they used to as the game changed for you? Oh, as yeah, far as yeah. The, yeah. And the hard part is there's a lot of turnover too. And so, you know, part of with, with Omega, when Stephen Urquhart left, you know, and, and the new presidents come in and, and the new staff come in and the boutique managers leave. And so it, it, it's tough in that way because the people you really form relationships with are now at, at Christian Dior selling handbags. And so it's, there's, there's so much turnover. And, and at, they don't at, give at the client level. list and say, by the way, this is RJ, make sure you take yeah, this yeah, call. Yeah, You're yeah, starting from yeah. scratch then in that case. Yeah, yeah. well, a little bit, but then yeah. it's also that some of the, the joy of the watch was the relationship with, with the person you were buying from yeah. and, and even at, at the higher level. But then also now that watches have taken on this, this completely different power and, and, and life, life force, You're, the collectors are no longer the, the priority if, if they ever were, but the, the brands no longer seem to care about the collectors at all. So they care about the, the heavy influencers and the celebrities and then just pushing as many pieces to market as possible. So that's, that's what's, what's really strange and, and it's changed dramatically. It's all about um, the image, the all is, but beyond image already. Now it's about, yeah. it's about, it, it's, it's again, like you're saying, like it's stature, it's not just how much money you have, but who you are and how you can influence somebody seeing it, your brand on their wrist. And a stupid question maybe, but, and I think from, from the watch collector side, we've all said this at some point, but did you ever come to a point where you said to yourself, you know what, I've done it. I've had it. You know what? Screw this. I'm going to sell off the collection. I'm going to keep one or two pieces and I'm going to call it a day. I've had my fun. Now I'm going to go off to the sunset and do other things. Has yeah. that thought reached your mind? And then how close once a week, yeah, once a week, every week. <laughs> once a week. <laughs> well, it's um, it, it it's funny. Yeah, every every so often, uh, I yeah. wonder what the hell I'm doing. But yeah. it, it it it's really. I mean, my New Year's resolution was to only buy one or two pieces this year that would be significant pieces, and and I've already. I remember you already broke that. Broke, <laughs> broke that. You said it's going to be about quality, not quantity. So you're just going to say, yeah, oh, yeah. bigger grails and yeah, things change, yeah. but. What stops you every time? Have you? Yeah, how, that's the thing. Yeah. You find a piece that a deal comes up, or or an offer shows up, or it presents itself, or or they introduce a new piece. Yes. So it's 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 really easy for those impulse buys, but but I think that at some point it it will happen. The the tough part is right now. I really love my collection. Yes. There's very few some that I might see moving out if if something else comes along. 
So I'm pretty content right now with how things are. But when you think about the, the romanticism and emotion around watches, and you think about at some point, you're going to pass these on, mm -hmm. you want it to be something more meaningful. Because when you think about so, some of the watches that I've gotten from, from patients um, after, they've, after they've passed on that the family wanted me to have, those are watches that every time I saw that guy, that was on his wrist and it was part of his identity. And so when you think about passing on a watch, I don't want my son to, to have a watch saying, yeah, this was one of 70. I don't think he ever wore it. It's, it's in new old stock condition. So at some point, it, you, they'll boil it down to a handful that will kind of be the, the defining pieces of, of who I am so that when they, when they get passed on, they'll have some scratches and, and dents and, and DNA on them. Because it's, uh, you know, my father's watch is a much more meaningful idea than one of his 70 watches that I don't recall ever seeing him wear. So at some point, it'll, it'll have to boil down. Uh, besides wearing my RJ watch, I have a 78 Datejust that was somebody's uh, wedding gift. And yeah, yeah. it was up on, against EWC. And uh, the guy told me the whole story and sent me a picture. And it's like, and I said to him, you got the watch, the bracelet sent off to the bracelet magician in Hong Kong. Yeah. And then you got the watch service in Rolex. You spent so much money on this watch. Why would you let it go? It's And he goes, you know yeah. what? Uh, got another watch that uh, the son bought. So the son now yeah. buys him the exact same watch, but it's a newer model. And it's just sitting and nobody's wearing it. And might as well have somebody else mm -hmm. enjoy it. But like, I'm wearing the guy's engagement watch. You know what? That has yeah. some meaning to me. So I enjoy that. Yeah. You know? Get into, well, it's, a, it's about the, the stories. It's about the that, stories. And, and, and they'll live on forever, too. So there's a little bit of immortality. Yeah. And that's the thing. Whenever I pull out some of those old vintage pieces, yes. that person's spirit is, is then walking with me that day. And so it's, it is a bit of, of immortality because you, you think about them when you might not have otherwise. If uh, there's one piece of advice that I can give to a watch collector, I haven't been there, and I, I believe I made this mistake, is keep your first. Like, I know, especially you don't have the money and you're saying, you know what, I got to trade up and everything else, but you will regret it. I, I guarantee you, if any, any kind of money, you will always want back yeah. your first real watch. Like, not a watch. Okay, there's timepiece and there's watch. Yeah. Your first timepiece, yeah. please keep it. Trust me, you'll be happy you did. Now, jumping That's into the meat and potatoes of this, that, uh, and you would, I assume you would agree with that as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, we, we've actually talked a lot about your collection today, but we are going to have to jump into one big topic is the mm. new releases for 2022. And one of the things yeah. was you mentioned was Basel world, which no longer yeah. exists. Were you, did you ever go to Basel world, the big watch no. yearly expo? You never actually went no. live to it. No, I was supposed to go the first year of, of COVID. <laughs> that, but you that were going to go. Yeah. Yeah. So, we, were, we were planning to go. But, imagine, uh, uh Basel World was basically like Disneyland on steroids for watches, right? Yeah. Apparently, though, unless you had a um, a press pass or were were a jeweler, yes. it wasn't very great for the watch lovers or, or collectors. You're basically stuck behind glass, just looking at displays. Yes. The Watches and Wonders apparently was a whole lot better. So, so this is the show that graduated from Basel World, right? Yeah. This was, and this was the so first more, year of Watches and Wonders. This was 2022. This, this was first year of, of live because yes. Basil kind of died even a little bit before COVID. And yes. then um, COVID just kind of put the, the final nail in the coffin. And then yes. Watches and Wonders was, was born as a, a more grand expo 
in in Geneva, which makes a whole lot more sense because Basel is a tiny little town in Switzerland with like a few crappy hotels that they always charge 10 times the, the normal rate for during Basel. And mm -hmm. I struggled to find a room and uh, you had to take a train in there. But so Geneva, much, much better, more accessible. And apparently it was a lot more you know, consumer and, and watch lover friendly. Any of the big brands, as far as you can recall off the top of your head, that said, you know what, we're going to do our own thing. We're not coming to Watches and Wonders. Do you recall who's not part of the show? No, who did? I mean, because uh, uh, SIHH branched off again. And I thought uh, for the longest time they were going to do, they were going to do, um, they were going to be part of Watches and Wonders. Because Richemont always does, does their own thing. But I think this year they joined. And uh, AP did, did their own thing. Omega did their own thing. They, they were yep. Omega days this year. Which, which I thought was, was interesting. But it also gave them a chance to beat um, a lot of the other brands to the punch. And then they introduced a, a new match um, during Watches and Wonders anyway. So, but I, I thought that, I thought I liked Omega's new models this year. Yes. But when you saw them up next to the Rolex ones, <laughs> it was a little, uh, it was a bit much. Well, everybody always wants to talk Rolexes all day long. And just to be clear, when RJ and I were growing up, you, you could have bought Hulk submarines all day long if you wanted to. And I remember looking at the Candy Crush Daytona and saying, so ugly, it's good. You know what, if I had the money and I should have, I should have like, I don't know, <laughs> sold a kidney and got it, but no, I shouldn't have. But uh, in all seriousness, though, back in the day, and this was forever, from the time I was born to literally now, you know, it's been a lot of years, you could have gone yeah. to any retailer, you're going to get your percentage off, no tax, call it a day. Yeah. It was not that difficult. The game has only changed recently. Now everybody thinks it's going to be like this forever. Yeah. We'll see what happens. But we got these releases, which you can go to the store and you can go drool over and you're never going to get anyways. <laughs> but what did you think of the new releases? What excited you from Rolex? Nothing really from Rolex excited me. and and uh, But I thought the left, uh, the right-handed or left-handed, left -handed, left -handed. you would consider it. The left-handed GMT, the, the it was a Starbucks? Surprising, yeah. yeah, surprising move. Yeah. But, um, and, and so, you know, you can't question the genius of Rolex because they're always thinking mm -hmm. 20 steps ahead. Sure. And you just wonder where they're going with, with that model. And if it's a way to double production, uh, I'm sure that'll come out in the, the, the Pepsi bezel and, and the other variants mm -hmm. but you just wonder where where that came from and what motivated it because had they just slapped a green and, and black bezel on the regular gmt yeah it would have it would have been you know the most popular watch in the world so this actually created a bit of controversy and you just wonder was there that much demand for this type of watches or are they doing are they laying the groundwork for for something else Last year, when they introduced the, the Pepsi on the Oyster and brought back the Oyster for, for their black and blue bezel. That's the bracelet, for other people, was... just so you know. What's that? The, the different bracelets. So, like, all of oh, a sudden, yeah, they, yeah. they have this style bracelet, that style bracelet, the solid one, the, uh, flu the fluted one versus uh, yeah. the Oyster. But yeah. I, thought, yeah. I thought that was a calculated measure to try to cool the market a bit mm -hmm. because um, now you've got all you have to do is create more bracelets. and and you know, that when they retired the Oyster bracelet on, on the Batman, it, it went up a bit because people thought they could never have it again. 
and now now and now they'll sell it to you right which is, <laughs> yeah. blew my mind okay so you're no yeah. longer having a batman oyster now you're only getting the jubilee okay yeah. that's the bat girl and then all of a sudden wait a minute it's back yeah. Ah, yeah. <laughs> were you a simpsons fan growing up oh yeah yeah okay Still. do you remember the malibu stacy episode oh yeah she's okay. got a new hat and people go crazy <laughs> right so. because you have malibu stacy who's like the barbie doll and all of a sudden, yeah. they bring out the most sophisticated doll, and she talks and does this, yeah. and she's going to destroy Malibu Stacy. What are yeah. we going to do? We got to think about this all night, and then everybody's going to go run for the new doll. Wait a minute, yeah. she's got a new hat. She's got a new hat. <laughs> and you mean you know you can bring out this watch? It's got it's got a tourbillon. It's got a power reserve. Okay, we're changing the color of the bezel. And like, <laughs> yeah. it's no oh, to me. It's like. You're doing the same stuff over and over, just changing the bracelet, yeah. changing the dial, changing this. We're gonna put some uh, stones on it, but he's yeah. not mechanically improving it. Like it's like you're doing all that in Tudor, but very few innovations yeah. ever come to Rolex. But it doesn't matter because it's still yeah. Rolex. But which is also part of the brilliance of the strategy mm -hmm. is because that your date just from 1980 looks a lot like your date just from 2020, Absolutely. and that timelessness is is a big part of it. Mm -hmm. One of the things that started to drive me away from Omega was the fact that every year they replaced last year's models. Mm -hmm. And so where's the, the timelessness? If you're going to render, it's not like an iPhone where next year it renders your model obsolete. And so it started to bother you because yep. they sell it as the, 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 the greatest watch and timeless and all that emotion. And then, oh, by the way, we've improved it. <laughs> now it's, uh, it's old news, whereas Rolex never does that. So you wonder if this left-handed thing was an effort to respond to some of the criticism about how they don't change much of anything, or if, like I said, they've got a, a bigger plan in mind for a whole left-handed GMT division or, or what their, what their long-term strategy is. But I think Rolex always playing the long game. The, um, the fluted bezel on the, the day date was interesting too. And, you know, according to Rolex, it's always a matter of if they haven't done something before, it's because they had, didn't have the technology or the capabilities. Like so making a two-tone ceramic uh, bezel, for example. That was a <laughs> yeah. big innovation. Yes. Yeah. And, and even putting the, um, the Cyclops on the, the Sea Dweller, mm -hmm. because if, if you believe them, they weren't able to make the Cyclops stick at the depths to which the Sea Dweller could descend. And then when they had the ability and the capability to create an epoxy that that would withstand that type of depth, then then they did it. And so with the the platinum day date, it wasn't just a, a signature aesthetic that made it platinum, although that's what it became. Yes. Now when they were able to manufacture platinum into a fluted bezel, they they did it. Which um, you know we all anytime there's a change, there's stages of grief, <laughs> and so. For me, the platinum smooth bezel was uh, was part of that that signature. Wait, can we see it again, please? I liked. But I, um, I, I wore the shirt color, by the way, to match your watch. Okay. <laughs> yeah. But so that was part of the aesthetic that I like. But ironically, when I um, is that a thirty six? That's at, that's a thirty six. That's right? a thirty six. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Which is a um, like a really good size. But it, um, it was the size forever, and there's a reason why because it yeah. fits under the cuff, perfect. Yeah. But uh, when I first were looking at them, I was disappointed that the platinum didn't have fluted because I love the fluted bezel. Yeah. But um, so now that it's available, I mean, if I was starting over, I would absolutely jump at the chance for that. Me too. Absolutely. And it's funny how 
you grow up with this, you know, but you know, it's funny how many people are, uh, why would I w- wear that watch? It looks like white gold. How would anybody know? Because <laughs> I know the color of that dial. I know that beautiful yeah. blue on, on the Daytona. I know it on, uh, on the day date. And that's where also I always joke around. So is this the year they're coming out with the stainless steel day date and everybody just <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, that's all happening. No, I'm, but I never thought, I never thought they'd do a stainless steel sky dweller. And that, um, and that's a funny thing with the market yeah. trend at the time. Cause I was, mm. I was during a bit of a downturn and mm. I think that they needed to do something to, to actually drive sales. And yeah, it, was, it, was, nobody, it, was, it was sitting in showcases forever. Oh, yeah. The, the precious yeah. metal ones, it wasn't moving at all. And as soon as they came yeah. out with the stainless steel, and now everybody wants them. Yeah. 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 How long were, were precious metal uh, Daytona sitting in uh, showcases? Oh, yeah. All day long, especially on, oh. a, on, a, on a leather strap or the, or the flex. You could have bought that all day long, two tones all day long, as many as you want. Even, even the platinum. I think yeah. Ross Ashley had the stage of theft in order to get rid of his platinum. But... Uh... <laughs> So, so on that token, but then, yeah. But then I, what do you well, think? I remember the, the platinum day, they, them trying to be very aggressive at discounting and, and, uh, you know, turning it down at 50, you know, now it sells for like 200 plus, but. If we could have gone and bought candy crush Daytona's, we'd be <laughs> right. If we would have bought everybody, yeah. bought everybody's inventory somehow, you'd be loved, but hindsight's 2020. But then yeah. I give the example of the new one, the yacht master, the diamond and sapphires. Yeah. Is that something? Could you see yourself wearing that? Do you like it? No, no. And o- overall, I think the Yamaha is a very underrated watch. And uh, for the longest time, even when yeah. Yeah, things were starting to get crazy, yes. Yacht Masters were yes. still in the case, which I could never understand because I thought it was a much better looking watch than the Submariner. I love uh, the Yacht Master. The Yacht Master 2, unless you live in Miami and you're going on a yacht, that's probably not <laughs> yeah. the watch for you. Yeah, right? I, little... I briefly had that one. You I did, briefly eh? had that. In, in the two-tone, which I like, my wife hated it. <laughs> yes. So I had to, had to get rid of it. Well, if she don't like it, but, it's not staying. Yeah. But then the you only got, watch that yeah. she really took issues with. I think because it, it reminded her a bit of that, that big douchebag type, <laughs> type watch. Yeah. Sorry, one second. No. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, even like the Air King, for example. Oh, the yeah. Air King is revolutionary now. Now we changed <laughs> how the crown guard is and we changed yeah. the class. Woo. You know, and, now, yeah. and I've read on the forum, like there's like 200 comments debating the class on an Air King. I mean, come yeah. on, folks, like seriously. Yeah, but Rolex creates this kind of emotion out of people and everybody cares about every little detail, right? As far as yeah. date, as far as the window goes, the symbol, whether, the, you know, on the, on the uh, Batman, there's a little symbol yeah. at the bottom or there's not every yeah, notice yeah. every little crown. detail, right? Yeah. And that's the thing with Rolex guys. I mean, there's two kinds of Rolex guys. There's someone who know a lot about watches and then others who know absolutely nothing about watches. And then there's some guys who know a lot, but just about Rolex. So they're just totally into Rolex, but not into watches. And, and it's amazing. They're just fanboys of, of that one brand. But as far as watches and wonders, the, the brand that consistently impresses me is, is um, Gigi, Gigi Lacoutre. Call it Gigi because I was in the boutique at Yorkdale and the, <laughs> the boutique manager kept, um, and the whole time I'm calling it Jaeger. And I was like, yes. yeah, I don't, Everybody I don't calls have it a Jaeger. Yeah. yeah, I don't have a Jaeger yet. And, yes. and I, you know, since added the, uh, the Reverso tribute, but um, so, so I was looking at it, I was like, you know, I really don't, 
have a Jaeger, but I feel like if I was going to, it would have to be the tribute because it, it's such an iconic. And she goes on about, oh, I can't believe, do you, do you know Gigi well? Who, the fuck, who, who is Gigi? <laughs> and he's like, do you know Gigi? And I was like, oh, and Gigi does this and Gigi does that. Who's Gigi? It's like, like is, is Gigi in the back? Like, is, is he going to come out? And it's like, oh, Gigi Lacutra. That's so, so I don't know. I still call it Jaeger, but um, we all called Jaeger. I did not know it was apparently Gigi. It's, apparently, it's Gigi. Jeez. But they are consistently putting out amazing watches yeah. that I don't know if anyone will ever buy, but they some of them belong just in, in watch museums and on display. They're really just showing off. Uh, what it means to be a watchmaker and very few brands are, are doing that right now because so many are just focused on trying to create a stunt watch or a big PR or drive some hype or some press or limited edition and and Jaeger just keeps putting out amazing pieces of orology that uh, it is so impressive. Cartier is getting a lot of good press a lot a lot I see them a lot uh, Hermes I sent you one the other day uh that the, MS, the, oh yeah that yeah. i love i love but the pricing metrics are are pretty interesting because mm -hmm. the, the platinum is is only like 28 or something like that and the mm -hmm. titanium one is is not that much less yes but i think that the um the movement and twenty eight thousand folks right? only twenty eight thousand. Yeah. that's the, and, and why we're saying platinum. only because rolex you know even at retail yeah. You're like 80, 90 on some of the pieces, right? Yeah. And then and you're Platinum, paying 150. Yeah. So it's all relative levels again. But uh, yeah, go on. For, and for like yeah. a novel movement and, and the way they display the, the time zone with the, the sphere rotating around the, the dial, I think that's brilliant. Beautiful looking watch. I just don't resale what I'm able to do on it. You know, that's where, yeah. again, yeah. you have the collectors that wear it that don't care what the resale is. When the, when the market's going crazy for the last couple of years, they're saying, you know what? I'm I'm not selling up my collection. I don't care if it's worth it's like stock market. I don't care if it's here yeah, or here. Yeah. I love my pieces. They make me happy the same way. Whereas other people only want it when it's hyped. And when the people don't want it, they want to get rid of it. So it's it's funny how collectors work that way. Yeah. If you get that, if you get that MS watch though, then you'll probably get a Birkin. So whatever you lose on on the watch, you'll make up for on the purse. Again, levels. It's the same so argument slow. I get. <laughs> Again, it's levels. I can tell you in Miami, yeah. I've never Las Vegas, I know how many Rolex stores there are, but in Miami, the number of people wearing Rolexes and the number of Rolls Royces, okay? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's incredible. I've never seen so many Rolls Royces. And I've been to New York, I've been to LA, but Miami, and it's the ones where the, the symbol actually pops oh, yeah. out. It's the blacked out, yeah. like it's the real McCoy, you know? So again, all about levels. <laughs> um yeah. wrapping up today rj i know you're a busy guy and again thank you it, it took us a while to put this together i know and you're a busy guy traveling the world and uh i really appreciate it, and the audience appreciates you giving the time today because it's a lot of people love watches want to get into watch collecting love to hear the stories so you know it, it's really good of you to put that information out there knowing what you know you've been in the game long enough you've experienced you've been in the factories you know we're we're really in uncharted times right now like this is like the real estate yeah. market stock market people say When's a crash coming? What's happening? Yeah, you know, yeah. this doesn't make any sense. So tell me, my friend, when you look at where we are today, where we're going today, the two things that come to mind, let's start off. Number one, prices. Now I know mm -hmm. that a lot of the brands, they still are stable. You can still get your deals out there. It's only select ones. Like the media puts it out there. Yeah. But there's a lot of great pieces you can pick up there and great deals 
if you don't have to have the must-get Rolex, right? Yeah, yeah. Or the must-get Patek, for example. But on those pieces that everybody has driven in their minds that they have to receive, where do you see prices going? Is it going to soften? Down. Is it going to go up? Yeah, I, I, I can't see this sustained because whenever the price is that far detached from intrinsic value, mm-hmm. some something's got to give. And, you know, I, I just keep thinking Beanie Babies all over again. And, and everyone, even then, we're saying, oh, it's different this time. The only, and, and they're saying that now, the only, the only thing that might keep us going a bit longer is the, the way we get our information now is, is very interesting because before Beanie Babies, you were limited in the newsfeed from six channels or the newspaper or Beanie Baby magazine or whatever it was. So you weren't completely inundated. Now with, with social media and you, your feed, you get fed what you're going to see and it tailors it so that there's not another headline that can bump Beanie Babies from the front page because yeah. all you'll get is the watches. And so even though all this other thing, things are going on in the world, there's the front page is always going to be fed to you based on what you've, you've um, tailored it. So the one thing that might keep this going on longer, uh, although uh, hopefully it changes as people get out into the real world, because for two years, we were stuck dependent on that, that virtual world. So right. it, um, it, it's going to keep going as long as no one looks outside of their, their, their silo. And so it might keep going because people's only reality is, is what they, they think is out there. And in their mind, the reality is that everybody is sporting a, a Daytona and everyone is, is driving a Lamborghini. And because everyone they see is doing that on social media feed or YouTube or all these things. So they get this very skewed sense of reality. And so until they go out into the real world, which hopefully we'll more and more see, they'll get a sense of fantasy versus reality and, and see that these, these hype watches aren't really the end point of the universe. So well, I think... Yeah, you think it could go that route. And I, and I have a couple of factors maybe I could throw in for you think about if it's gonna if you think this is gonna affect it like number one during the last two years or so when people are making we're still making incomes the ones that we're making still income some people made very good incomes you know off of what had happened and because yeah. obviously a lot of people lost their businesses lost their jobs but there were the segment of the population that did very well for whatever reason but they also were not traveling they were not eating out of restaurants they yeah. couldn't go to the malls they weren't buying it as much as they were not all of them were shopping online so what are we gonna do we're gonna feed the watches feed the cars for example all of a sudden mm-hmm. now we're traveling again and we're going to restaurants again and we're going to the mall again. Mm-hmm. Is that money maybe going to take away where all of a sudden, you know what, I'm not going to buy my sixth Rolex or maybe not going to buy mm-hmm. a Rolex at all. Do you think that yeah. could affect it at all? Well, I think, yeah, that'll definitely affect it because you're right. The vacation fund became the watch fund. And then there was a supply and demand issue because supply was legitimately slow during COVID and factory shutdowns. Yes. And I think that that'll, that'll factor in I think the speculators will start to step out because the same thing will happen in the real estate market as well. There's a lot of buyers in the watch market that are purely speculators that are looking for the quick flip. And some of those guys took out lines of credit or credit card and took advantage of low interest rates. And so now that the cost of of carrying stock or holding stock is going to go up, some of these guys are going to have to sell off and they'll be happy with a thousand dollar profit instead of the the $5,000 profit. So I think a lot of those guys who are on the wait lists will take themselves off or 
no longer want to, to be on it. And, and I think it'll be a, a quick decline. The minute you'll start to see a, a fault in, in the line, things will, will start to rapidly turn into a bit of a floodgate. And unless the ones holding stock have enough power to keep those, those sell-offs under control, either by buying them up or not letting them hit the, uh, the mainstream or the consciousness. Because when you look at with Beanie Babies, all it took was, was one eBay listing to, to start to crumble the whole house of cards. So stuff like that starts to happen. I think that it will, it will cause a big sell-off. So I think a lot of those stocks, um, the watch stock are, are not on the risks of the end consumer. Absolutely not. I mean, it's a gray market is ruling it, obviously. Oh, yeah. And as far as all the games that people are saying, you have to go buy X number of product from the jeweler, of non-desirable product for the, they have one of the desirable items yeah. and how they're flipping it themselves. There's a whole lot of speculation there. Where I see RJ when I go to number two is the supply chain. And I'll give you the example of GM, for example, where I read one of the interviews with, with one of the high up executives. And they said, look, the days of, a, of you seeing a huge lot full of inventory and the mass sell-offs is over. We're not going to be carrying that kind of inventory anymore. We got smart. We're going to make more make, made to order. You're going to have to order online. You're going to have to wait for your product. And it's just in time inventory. That's where it's headed. Mm -hmm. And without staying with a whole bunch of inventory, then guess what? The prices can stabilize. Like I think again to the Simpsons, when Homer wanted to buy yeah. a product and called it online and said, Hey, do you have any more of these left? They see a whole <laughs> warehouse full of them. Yeah, I got one more, buddy. You know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and even Rolex, the way I see it, you know, if I think they're smart enough now to realize we're never going to see showcases full anymore. They're going to mm -hmm. hold it in the back, maybe put a few pieces. Say, yeah, maybe I can get you. Call them back in a week. Yeah, yeah. And they'll, they'll be, it's a game. Like, honestly, yeah. perception is reality. And I think that eventually the supply will catch up to the demand. But I don't know if they're ever going to start flooding again, quote unquote flooding and, and seeing like when you're, when you talk about Omega, when they say, oh, son, yeah. here's five variations and here's as many as you want. I think yeah. Rolex is too smart for that. And they're yeah. not going to let that, that happen. Well, well, that's part of, you know, the whole Veblen theory and, and to be a Veblen item, it's, it just, it would have to be something difficult to obtain. Yes. And for the longest time, the, the price alone was was the barrier to entry and the price became what what made it difficult to to obtain yes. and it's like you said all of a sudden especially in the last couple of years uh money was cheap you could borrow it and the price became less and less of a barrier and there was a lot of overnight millionaires and bitcoin millionaires and house flippers or people taking massive equity out of their house because the house they bought for a hundred thousand is now worth eight hundred thousand so they remortgage and put you know, 500K in their, in their bank account. So all of a sudden money was no longer what made it difficult because then everybody had money. So something else had to create a new barrier to, to make that desirable. And so the difficulty in obtaining it became its, its Veblen signature and, and why it, it maintained Veblen status was that it was difficult to obtain, not necessarily expensive because people get much more excited about a steel uh, steel Pepsi than they did about precious metal Daytonas at the time. And so I think that that strategy of having to earn the right or the fact that not everybody can get it, that's something Hermes has been doing for, for decades and it's worked brilliantly for them. And they're, still, and they're still weightless. They're still not getting those yeah. bags. Oh, yeah. No matter and how many billions are worth. To, to produce and, and yeah. make and, and, and worth much less than... Um, then it's it's MSRP and it's it's black market value or gray market value. And, so and I, I think that they, they know how to play the Bedlam game because yes. 
what what makes it desirable is is the difficulty to obtain and yes. if it's if it's just a matter of handing over some cash that doesn't make it difficult because let's let's speak frankly if rolex went and across the board multiplied their prices by 50 percent to 100 percent they're selling out the exact same way so yeah you know you have a day date that back in the day was oh wow that's forty thousand. that's a lot of money well hold on here's this protect that's eighty ninety thousand. wow that day date's actually looking pretty good right yeah, now yeah, you know yeah, yeah. and people are kind of waking up saying wow rolex is actually really cheap like oh my god yeah. retailer thank you for taking my full money plus tax thank you for the <laughs> privilege of yeah. buying your product the full price we've been unheard of for so many years and that's where I yeah. don't see it changing, but you're right. You know, and if you think about Hermes, it's not much different that way. So people are well, waiting. Part, yeah. yeah. Oh, the other, like, like you say, you go to Miami, all you see is Rolexes. When okay. we were in Europe, it, it was a lot of the same thing. Mm -hmm. And so when you get out into the real world and everyone has one, yeah. just, there's less, uh, less of that Veblen special feeling of, about it. And so I think that the more saturated the market gets, because remember, they still make a million watches a year. And they have for decades. So the minute people start to get away from social media feeds and into the real world, I think that the, the perception will start to shift a little bit. I think that there's still so much demand. I mean, Rolex has done an amazing job of infiltrating the consciousness of every consumer in the world and, and making it so that there's no other way to celebrate an achievement than, than by getting a Rolex. And I went through that same road uh, i call it the requisite rolex road of any collector Everybody has, because, yeah. um, and, and then you leave the rolex and then you come back to it because you appreciate it on a different level because it's less about the achievement status and um and symbolism and then you come back to just appreciating how brilliant they are in the watch world and, and really the movements are incredibly solid and bulletproof and robust and, and something like the Sky Dweller doesn't get nearly enough credit for being a dual time annual calendar. And that's a brilliant movement, but all anyone cares about is, is the logo on the dial. Half the owners uh, yeah. don't, don't even realize that the bezel moves. <laughs> yeah. like, let's be honest. Last question of the day, what's on your wrist today? Oh, this is the, the Speedmaster, which is that's so the funny. Speedy. Yeah, because, um, and, and just a plain Jane vanilla. Um, the Hesselite? No, it's a it's sapphire. Oh, it's I, the, I just, the double um, sapphire sandwich. Yeah, the sapphire sandwich. It's just has a light. I, I just I, I'm still a little obsessive compulsive about scratches and and most of wait 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 an OCD watch selector the, get out of here. Oh yeah. <laughs> so most of what makes contact is the is the the crystal. So it has a light scratching up. I don't know if I could deal with. And I like I like the anti reflective coating because yes, just visibility. Yeah. But this was a watch for the longest time. Beautiful piece. I, I didn't have, I had, there was a time I had 10 Speedmasters in my collection and I didn't have the, the original plain Jane one. Yeah. And it, it's such an amazing watch. <laughs> I, I just got, I could see the, the timeless appeal in, huh. in the Speedmaster. And um, so this was just the 1861 movement, the previous year model, yeah. not, not the upgrade. Because the only thing I really liked about the upgrade was the bracelet bracelet's and amazing and beautiful it's, beautiful yeah it's it retro fixes to the yeah. to the new model this one's an uncle seiko but until the actual uh omega bracelet comes in but it, it's such a um simple watch <laughs> but it's uh you definitely see the the appeal and and how it's survived generations and this is one of the only things omega's done very right is somewhat leaving 
this model alone. And even yes. their upgrades were were tastefully done and, and carefully done and well thought out. Yep. So this is the most um, a significant watch of all the Omega collection. And it's so funny, as big of an Omega collector I was, I, I didn't have one in my collection until now. I've never had one, funny enough. I had a, <laughs> a Speedy 57 the uh yeah. that that line with the leather straps it was the stainless uh and it was the bigger the slightly bigger model and uh the reason i didn't love it was i found it really hard to wind the watch with the chrono i just yeah. found the crown not conducive even on the villa it's a little difficult but with the with the chrono buttons there i found it very difficult that was my reason yeah. but i love the look of it and it's one of those watches like the like the big pilot every collector has yeah. one or wants one it's amazing how you know some of them are just very timeless yeah anything on your radar What's what's next? You're always on the it's, hunt. <laughs> there's nothing. There's always there's always a there's always a hunt. Absolutely, and it's thing of the Are ones that got away. To be, <laughs> to be to be honest, the last watch I saw that I really loved was your Breguet with the uh, open uh, the the skeleton. Oh yeah, the tradition. Yeah, one of the uh, um, one one of the guys on on the site, uh, Big Fat Polly. Yes, is is yeah, handle yeah. Big Fat Polly. He he was yeah. he was talking about it. He got me onto Brigade and I went to the store and then you bought it and I, we had not even talked about it. I'm like, is this guy yeah. like reading my mind now? So <laughs> I kind of love the skeletonized look and I, I I'm looking more towards there. That's where I'm kind of right now. What about yourself? Oh, that's an amazing one. Well, like I said, I'm I'm high on Brigade right now because mm -hmm. um, the the rose gold marine with the the GMT I love and the funny thing is the new marines I don't like at all. But the older, the older model is because the case, the case is um, of the old one is just still more muscular and still dressy and the point edge. And the new one's a little too androgynous. Yes. But um, you see some of those older models, and and they're coming up at you know fifty percent off their original retail and yeah, so you get good deals there. Steals and Langa, you know, at some point I wanted a, a Moon Phase Lang one. But those have gotten really, you know, price-wise have gotten up. And I think that because there's a legitimate supply issue there, you know, it's 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 tough to pay full retail plus tax. <laughs> you know, so sometimes you want to feel like you you got a good deal, at least with with Rolex, you know, that if you pay retail, that's your your discount price. So I'll tell you, I'll tell you right now from a grail standpoint, if that platinum day date 36 ever becomes available, please be sure to call me first. <laughs> Because I'm going to match it up with the shirt, not just all, all yeah, nowhere. I'm going to get like fantastic. 30 of these colors, same ones. I'll just rotate <laughs> the same shirt, but different ones. Uh, I love that one. And I love the 36. And it's funny because, you know, we're in the 40, we're, we're in the 36. I love my 36 uh, Datejust. And if there's one thing I was going to, I would collect and I would just get different variations of the dials and the bezels and the bracelets yeah. are different Datejust. I've always loved the Datejust. I just, that to me is the most classic timeless right. watch. And I could wear Datejust all day long. And like you said, 1970 1980 1990 no one really knows and it's amazing but you know especially like mine is a silver face jubilee yeah. with the fluted bezel but the silver dial has patinaed into a white so uh -huh. the, with the older models if you do the research on rolex with those dials you never know the ones from the 70s where they're gonna head you can have also a brown one a purple one huh. i got this white silvery shimmer one and it's pretty neat nice. so yeah, it's like becomes like one of one. It becomes like a one of itself. Yeah. I think that's fine because the big watch trend you're seeing it now come back down to to more reasonable size. I think 36 will always be a perfect size, especially for a watch like that because um, 
it wears much larger. I find, you know, I went through all the sizes of the date eights and, yes. and the 42, the date eight two just didn't at all aesthetically work. And it was out of proportion. It was chunky. It was very, yeah. 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 And, and yeah, the bezel didn't work. The yeah. 40 is not bad because I have the yellow mm -hmm. gold in, in 40, but I think the 36 is absolutely perfect. For people what type of watch it is. For people watching this at the end of the day, and like I told you at the beginning of the episode, this is first world problems to the max, you know? <laughs> it's like when you're we're coming down, you're wearing a watch. Let's say you have a watch worth, let's say, 10 grand. Let's say and that's considered a cheapy one, right? And someone's like, that's a gorgeous watch. Like, that, that must have cost like 500 bucks. Like, and, yeah. <laughs> and it's not, we're not making fun of these people. It's just that this is, this is like, it, they cannot fathom oh, in yeah. their minds. Like the same way for me, I can't imagine spending half a million dollars on a car. Like it just, like my yeah. mind cannot process it. And I can't imagine spending a hundred million dollars on a mansion, you know? So again, one person's beater is another man's grail. Yeah. It's yeah. amazing how that works. And that's where, again, you know, one of the first things RJ said at the beginning was we're not trying to exclude people. Just, you know, if somebody's wearing a hundred thousand dollar watch and somebody's wearing a $1,000 watch, we can all appreciate the hobby the same way. And it's actually wanting yeah. to include people and, and, and not exclude them. And that's one of the things with Rolex now. If you can't get that dream Rolex that you think is your dream, go spend some time, like join a collector site like CWC, you know, start going on the forum, start talking to people, start learning about the crap. And you're amazed at how many great brands there are. You get some great deals out there, especially secondhand. And you know what? They're, yeah. A lot of times they're very, they're better watches. They're just better constructed or there's a lot more to them. And when you learn the actual sport of it, it's like when I wear my Glasuda, no one knows what the hell a Glasuda is except for a <laughs> yeah, collector. Yeah. And I'm okay with that. That's fine. Yeah. Amazing. Absolutely. Uh, we're going to put your handle down uh, at, at, on, uh, under your name there that people are going to see throughout the episode, RJ. So they'll be able to reach you out. Yeah. I, I heavily tell them, check out RJ's uh, Instagram. Check out the lifestyle. Learn what it is to live the chosen life. And my friend, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to come yeah, see us. Anytime. It's been a pleasure. Hope we'll have you back soon. Absolutely. Before Watches of Wonders 2023, we can speculate on the watches then. <laughs> sure. Amazing. Well, we're going to sign off as we do. I'm about to get embarrassed, but let's Wait, are we doing, bring it up. I don't know. It's, uh, yeah. we're in, that's, that's right. And we say, bad. we keep it up and we say, keep living the chosen life. Keep living the chosen life. Thanks, brother. All right. Take care.